But for me, <clears throat> for an exercise to be special developmental, it has to involve tactics mm-hmm. on, on some level. You have to be forced to make a tactical decision in order to have the skill that you're practicing or the physical abilities you know, transferred to the field. And the reason I say that, I'll just throw this out there, is because in Anatoly's system, any exercise that's special developmental in some even and obviously his systems are concurrent so he's training several different qualities at once uh in these classifications but anything that's special developmental or more specific so sde or or ce he was somewhere between 70 and 100 percent confident that improvement in that exercise would constitute an improvement a concomitant improvement in sporting results that was strength coach jake jensen on exercise selection tactics and optimizing our training systems for better transfer onto the field of play you're listening to the just fly performance podcast Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none, Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 118 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Today on the show, we have two incredible coaches, a dynamic duo, if you will, we have Jake Jensen and Jeff Moyer. Jeff's back. Shoot, I don't know how many times he's been on the show, but every time he kicks ass, so it's it's always good to talk to Jeff again. Uh, Jake Jensen, uh, Jeff's uh, the head coach of DC Sports, or the owner of DC Sports Training, and Jake has been a contributor for Just Fly Sports for a few articles and Q&As, um, is an expert in all things 1x20, Chuck, Soviet Sports Science, has translated, translated the works of Bondarchuk, and uh, so he is uh, on the show as well, and these guys are going to get together. It's like this mind meld of Soviet sports science into application for American sports training transfer, if you will, uh, in, in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> we're going to cover a lot of things, but um, yeah, these guys are some of the most dedicated and intelligent coaches that I know. Uh, they're in the trenches guys who also have a field of mentors, um, or a tribe of mentors, as the book goes, that has really allowed them to uh, be pushing the field forward in terms of special exercises, basically selecting exercises that will have an optimal training transfer to the skills needed in sport, or even as Jake mentioned, 
perhaps infusing that into the tactics of the sport itself. If you listen to podcasts in the past, like um, with the one with uh, Scott Sawasser, Sean Mishka, and Michael Zwiefel, one of the things I always remember is Scott saying, you know, I got this guy so fast or this this running back is so fast, but then why is he getting tackled in the backfield, right? Like, So there's always those things to consider that really make things important. Uh, between uh, two of these guys, uh, Jake and Jeff's primary primary mentors, uh, these guys' primary mentors, are, and who we'll reference in the show today are Dr. Anatoly Bondarchuk and then Dr. Michael Yassis. Um, Dr. Bondarchuk, in particular, his uh, methods and his training pyramid has definitely been a big uh, point of interest for a lot of people, especially because his throwers were sweeping the medal stands Olympics after Olympics after Olympics, and it really helped us to, learning about it really helped us to understand when um, th- this point where you know maybe just trying to get as strong as you possibly can and having the program revolving around wave loading with strength loads, well, maybe that's not the optimal way to do it. Maybe that's not the optimal way to track how we adapt to exercise all the time. Um, and you know, there's different strokes for different folks. There's no one perfect method, but his method has clearly got amazing results and is an awesome and simple way to track how each individual athlete is going to respond to a program. So, But trying to get that and filter that into the team sport world um, is de- certainly not an easy task. It's not like super straightforward because team sports – there's a lot of different skills. There's more than one thing going on. You're not just throwing a shot put necessarily. You're, you have to run and jump and cut and make decisions on the fly and all these things. So anyways, uh, we're going to really dig in. Jake and Jeff are going to share a little bit about, uh, one, a universal topic that no matter if you're a track coach, team sports, sports performance coach, uh, whatever, is just really valuable and interesting, and that's the role of general or maximal strength development in the traditional lift through the eyes and through the scope of the Bondarchuk and Dr. Yes's training systems. The second topic, which is really a very encompassing one and was just a really awesome chat and I think is a huge piece of the future of our field. I mean, I shouldn't say the future because it's been around, right? Like, I think it's just something that will become more and more popular, the more and more um, important transfer to sporting movements and ultimately uh, winning on the field. Uh, transfer to sporting movements uh, becomes, but that's, the things in the middle of the Bondarchuk pyramid, so the SDEs and SPEs, which are basically like the special exercises, the exercises that help us to develop the technique and form and the strength behind the technique and form of the key events or the key um, the key performance indicators of what we are doing. So the abilities to throw the ball correctly, swing or to swing the racket correctly, to Uh, make the cut, the agility cut correctly, sprinting correctly, jumping correctly, obviously all those things, right? And then as many sporting skills as you could imagine. So uh, Jake and Jeff are just really going to break down Bonderchuk, Dr. Bonderchuk and Dr. Yes's ideas and methodologies and how we approach uh, specialized exercises in light of that for making not just like a track athlete better, which is awesome, but the team sport athlete better. And also we're going to wrap that up with how to... um, with how Jeff and with how Jake and Jeff are using uh, some bonder check ideals in creating training cycles and then how they're tracking adaptation. Uh, final thing before we get started, there is a little bit of language in this one. So that's been a trend recently, hasn't it? <laughs> All right, let's get on to it. Hey guys, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, hey. Um, so, yeah, I always love these roundtables. I think this one might span the most people from the, the widest range of time zones. So hopefully the, 
their internet internet will hold it together for us today. So far, it's been awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this particular topic. Um, Bonner Chuck and Doctor Yesis, and uh, especially the the buzz lately is the Bonner Chuck system integrating that, or at least taking the principles from it, and, and uh, building you know the best uh, athlete you can be, and, and peaking at the right time, and being smarter about training. And so, what uh, first thing I'd like to kind of get into is um, you guys' background with uh, both uh, Yesis's work and then Doctor Bonner Chuck's work. Jeff, why don't you start us off, man? All right, uh, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, I, I was coaching high school football in Syracuse, New York, where um, I had just taken over as the uh, physical preparation coach for the uh, team, uh, the, the starting quarterback, who was the head coach's son, um, was had elbow pain in his elbow while he was throwing, and uh, uh, third game of the season, third quarter, through through a pass, elbow broke. Uh, he broke the epicondral plate in his uh, right uh, throwing elbow. And I knew it was mechanical, but I didn't have really any idea what would cause the mechanical issue uh, what, or what was causing the issues. Um, so after he had to have surgery, um, his, uh, his father, who was the head coach, played professional football uh, in the NFL for, I think, nine or ten years um, so he was going to contact coaches that he knew, quarterback coaches that he knew to see if he could help. Uh, at that time, I was uh, apprenticing, if you want to call it that, under Yosef Johnson. Um, and I know you, I knew that Yosef has been apprenticing under Dr. Yeses for like, I don't know, 20 years at that time. So I asked him, hey, you know, would Doc, you think Doc could uh, possibly help us out with the biomechanics stuff? He goes, yeah, well, I'll see. Um, so he asked Doc for me, and Doc was uh, Doc was game. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the football coach uh, asked his NFL guys, and then uh, when he found out that Dr. Yesis was on board, he asked the NFL guys, you know, what they thought about Dr. Yesis, and they said he's, yeah, he would definitely be the guy to go to. Um, so we flew out to Dr. Yesis, um, the quarterback, the offensive coordinator, and I. Um, and uh, the rest is kind of history. Um, from that moment, we sat in his living room, and he told us what the mechanical issues were and why and how we were going to fix it. We went right out to a field and started working, man. And from that moment, uh, I've been swinging from Doc's nuts uh, ever since, man, because um, <laughs> part of my language. But, uh, you know, we, we, we got the quarterback. Uh, we got him back after a long uh, surgery and a long rehab. We got him back. Uh, we took over three tenths of a second off of his 40 in a very short amount of time. We got him throwing the ball pain-free uh, and improved, I think, his throwing 15 yards. And uh, we ended up going 9-0 and his uh, senior year. Um, he won all – I think he was all, all state quarterback. And uh, he ended up going down to uh, University of Central Florida. So, um, yeah, Yay. pretty good pretty good ending to that. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of where, and then I just been apprenticing under Dr. Yessa since, and I think this was 2011, uh, so seven years. Boom. Yeah. All right, Jake. <laughs> uh, no, so really, my uh, I guess like experience with Anatoly and with um, so with Dr. Bondarchuk and with Dr. Yessis kind of comes from the same place. I was working for Mark McLaughlin in Portland, Oregon, um, as an intern. And he had transfer training in sports volume one. 
and a bunch of other Ultimate Athlete Concepts books. I'm sure that pretty much every coach who coaches athletes in strength and conditioning has a book from Yosef's company on his shelf. And I was reading the books, and <clears throat> I was intrigued by the translation in Transfer of, of Training Volume 1. And uh, I reached out to Yosef and asked if Anatoly was still writing books and if they needed a translator. And he told me that they uh, that uh, Doc was kind of overwhelmed with work and um, that they could use some help with translating. And so that's how I got involved with Yosef. And obviously I was uh, working to be a strength and conditioning coach. This was about five years ago. Um, and I was like green as they come. Like I was still in undergrad, like doing my general education classes, <laughs> like, you know, like math and science and history and all that stuff in college. Um, just kind of getting my feet wet in strength and conditioning and Yosef <clears throat> took me under his wing and anything I needed questions wise or books or anything he was right there to to uh, mentor me and guide me along and obviously experience coaching with Mark was great um, in that time since I met Yosef five years ago I've worked at a couple different schools I worked at Portland State with the football team I worked at uh, BYU with the football team um, both of those times as an intern um, and then I moved to Michigan Tech um, to work with Matt Tomey as a graduate assistant strength and conditioning coach and uh, I was there for about six months and got the opportunity to move to Berlin Germany and be the the head strength coach for a, a hockey team here um, the Ice Bear in Berlin so um, that's where I'm at now and my experience with Anatoly with then uh, Dr. Bondarchuk has been solely based on translating his books and interpreting for him when he does presentations. So through like working, you know, obviously as a strength coach in my career, um, I've been able to learn a lot of things that I've found useful in coaching my athletes. Um, and I have the added benefit of if I ever have a question about principles that are in his books or more often than not the way that he writes about the print of principles in his books, cause he just doesn't do that good of a job. <laughs> I can uh, call them and say, hey, like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, a lot of people don't have that benefit. Like, they just don't have the access or they don't, obviously, they don't speak the language because he doesn't speak <laughs> English. But uh, it makes a big difference, you know, with that guy to be able to talk to him and uh, mull things over. So he's been a mentor of mine. And that's how I came in contact with Jeff and um, with Dr. Yes's system is uh, through Yosef and through the, the Central Virginia sport performance seminar that Jay DeMeo puts on every year at the University of Richmond. Um, it's been a fantastic reference, uh, resource for me. So through those two kind of avenues, I've been able to learn about Anatoly stuff and apply it a little bit. Sure. And then Jake, your background uh, as an athlete too, and a lot of what you've worked with is, is powerlifting. Yes. Yeah. If you can call powerlifters athletes, <laughs> don't be offended guys. I lift too. We all know it's true. No, I, I, um, I asked that too, just because I want to, I, you know, as we kind of talk throughout today, I think I'm always interested in people's backgrounds as an athlete themselves and, and some of the, the sections they coach. Cause I think when we interpret these systems, it, I think it makes an impact, you know, I mean, I, um, Oh, it does. And I think it, it, it bears mentioning that I was a very mediocre power lifter. I, I was a single ply lifter in 242. So 110 kilo class. And I barely totaled elite at 242, which is lame like even in like in powerlifting these days raw powerlifters at 110 kilos will 
total elite in equipped gear. So they'll get an equipped elite total raw plus like two or 300 pounds. So it's just a, it's like a different beast these days. Like guys are so strong. Records are going up like crazy. Like the 242 lifters in raw class are just outrageous. Like you've got guys pushing over 800 in the squat, you know, like close to 600 in bench and well into the sevens in deadlift at, at 110 kilos. It's like, a decade ago that was like super good for equip lifters so like my numbers were nowhere near that it was more of a like a when i was living in utah going to college i started powerlifting because a bunch of my buddies did it and i trained with um three world record holders scott meekum benches 820 at 242 um Chris McGrail deadlifted this weekend at the Olympia. He deadlifted 715 at 198. Um, and then another guy whose name is Ryan Marble benched um, 755 at 242 in single ply equipment. So those guys were like ridiculously strong. Um, but it's good for me, I think, to, to be involved in that because. Uh, honestly they get injured a lot <laughs> yeah not not those guys per se but power lifters do and uh it gives you a new perspective on what it means to be strong and obviously the skill involved in performing at a high level even in just lifting weights yeah no doubt it's it's interesting to me how you mentioned that too like i mean you look at like track and field and and obviously the drug you know the the i mean you could talk about drug use and things like that but it's like track records have not really gone a whole lot of places you know in in the last 30 years in many regards a few events here and there but like it's interesting that powerlifting has really just gone up 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 um yeah. relative to that man it's crazy it's just like i mean you've got like back in the day in the 80s and 90s you had guys like cone and captain kirk who um you know they were squatting huge numbers i think kirk karwaski did a thousand for two on the video <laughs> but he was like 290 <laughs> wow you know and obviously that's ridiculously impressive for a guy who's wearing nothing but a belt you know but it's like these days those lighter weight classes are super competitive yeah that's nuts man yeah it's like well you say you're mediocre i mean even even a mediocre you know kicks my ass like times <laughs> like doubles my lifts so you know i that much respect uh uh so hey um first kind of question or, or topic i really wanted to get into is and in, in my own work, you know, going through, uh, you know, Dr. Yes's work, special strength exercises, for me, biomechanics has just every year become a more and more and more important part of everything I do. Um, just because I think we could all agree that, that general strength only goes so far. There's only, and, and maybe this is a good starting point too, before we really kind of dive into the, the special strength, the exercise classifications, where we can take this as physical preparation coaches if you guess you would call yourself a physical preparation coach or or whatever the term is these days right i almost feel like there's different blends and flavors of it depending on what ends of that pyramid you're getting into if you're you're doing special biomechanic biomechanics work or uh but maybe this is a good starting point is what's you guys thought on the role of it, given these two systems um and i think there's some similarities too with the the bonner chuck and yeses's ideas on using percentages above 80 and um like high intensity strength general training but 
uh, role of general strength levels spanning both these two systems and how you guys see that in your programs. What's max squat, max, max bench, those types of things for athletes, non, non-strength sport athletes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to jump in here real quick. So I think, uh, you know, piggybacking off what I said earlier, anybody who's been around like people who lift heavy weights for a single, like real heavy weights, like guys who can squat 700, 800, 900 pounds, like they, they realize and understand that there's a, a, a large amount of technique that goes into being able to do that. Like, and in, in all the big lifts, like not just Olympic lifting, like cleans and snatches, but squat bench deadlift. Like there's a lot of technique that goes into being able to move heavy weight for a single, you know, and like for an athlete who plays a team sport as a strength coach, I have to ask myself, like, how much time do I want to spend teaching this guy to brace through an eight second grinder <laughs> max effort squat? Cause it takes time. Like you can't just learn it overnight. Like, and there's a lot of like, and obviously that eats up a lot of training reserves to train that way. Um, so for me, the question I ask myself when it comes to heavy weights is like, how, how much is it going to matter for this guy in his sport to be able to do that? And I'm not saying it doesn't, but I mean, for some players in some sports, I think it would, but I just think that's an important consideration to make. Yeah, I agree. Uh, um, dealing with doc. I mean, we never did anything, uh, under eight reps. Um, but that eight reps is as heavy as you can, as you can lift eight reps. But, uh, um, yeah, just kind of does the sport demand it. And then, I mean, the other question is, I mean, do, does that athlete really need maximum strength? Is that the limiting factor that's missing, you know, uh, or, you know, is there other things? And then, you know, how much strength do we develop? Well, it kind of depends on the other physical abilities and the technique, uh, doc always comes back to technique. Um, and what I mean by technique is technique of their sport movements. Um, you know, I mean, too much strength in, you know, let's just say a squat or something can, can, uh, negatively, uh, affect, you know, let's just say, uh, sprinting, um, you know, so does it, you know, if so, you know, then why do we need it? So the doc's always kind of coming back to that. And then if, you know, we put on 50 pounds on a kid's squat, but their broad jump goes up an inch or two or their you know their 10 yard sprint doesn't get any faster then who gives a shit um so it's always kind of it's got to be you know what i mean it's, it's kind of be in relation to what else is going on uh but doc you know doc doesn't put too much onus he does it, it is important general strength is important for for athletes but it's got to be you know relative to the other qualities that are being developed and, and the technique of their movements for their sport you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, one of the w- yeah one of the things uh, you guys both said uh, things that I, I found really interesting that do tie together is, and the reason I asked too is because I I as far as I know and Jeff you said it, never going lower than eights, which would indicate you really aren't using above eighty percent of your one RM in a training set for the most part, and I I believe Bonderchuk never went above eighty percent for training sets, and so. Uh, I, and compared to some other systems where you are going above 80, um, but also the idea of um, not really, and maybe a lot of that too is not getting into the technique and the special coordination that's needed once you start going above 80% too, because you're getting maybe too far into training, I guess, quote unquote, another sport. I Working with getting into some of the, the Jay Schrader systems and training with some people who've done that, uh, overarching emphasis that I keep 
seeing coming back to is keeping the training movements, at least if you're talking um, uh, your your GPEs or your, I believe that's the correct category, your your barbell strength or stuff that's 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 not specific and biomechanical, keeping that pretty simple, not you're, you you don't want to have like a session where everything is just skilled out, you know, like, okay, let's, yeah. let's do some serious skill with your actual, if you're a baseball player, let's really do some good pitching work. Then let's dial in the skills on the special strength for pitching. Now we're going to go in the weight room and dial in all these special skills for, you know, I'm going to really trick out your squat. And then we're going to, it's like, at some point you just have to let the athlete lift a little bit and not, and I mean, so turn their brain off a little bit and just train, so to speak, when they are going general. Uh, I feel like that's something I've learned a little bit more. I mean, I obviously don't want to let him have shit form, but it's something I've definitely learned over time. Um, that keep, the farther you go down in that pyramid, the less like fancy and complicated and overcoached those things need to be. Well, with dogs. Oh, I'm sorry, Jake. Let me jump in real quick. So I think it's good, <laughs> you know, like picking off what you said um, with Anatoly. I feel like <clears throat> I talked. I had a good talk with Derek Ebley about a, a month ago about his new course and he and I have uh, like over the years we've had a lot of good discussion about Anatoly stuff because he's one of the people the few people like truly few people in the world who knows Anatoly like actually knows him like as a person and a coach because um, they live together <laughs> a lot of people don't know that but uh, they did live together for a bit and the thing that people have to remember about Anatoly is he's done everything so like a lot of people like you know like you said he doesn't really go above 80 percent it's not necessarily true like there are a lot of instances where he uses max effort 110 percent squats hmm. for a single um and the thing is is that like everything like that has a purpose so you take for example in some sport applications which i think you know you'll find with jeff and with with jeff and me we take from doc and from anatoly that that's the foundation is what is the sport demand in some applications super heavy ass squatting just like nasty raw strength is very important like if you're gonna eventually get down to like with some guy who's 320 pounds and plays inside <clears throat> doing isometrics like heavy heavy isos like that guy needs to have just like a fucking block for a core you know, like he needs to be super solid. And so heavies is a good way to get that adaptation. And so with Anatoly, like with some of his throwers, like the first guy that comes to mind is Jerry Tom. He tells stories about that guy. Like when he showed up at his training facility, the guy was like just a fucking slob. He was like, he was as soft as baby shit. And Anatoly told him to get the fuck out of there. Like for two years, he told him to not come back. But he just kept coming back and was like, please train me. And Anatolia was like, fine, I'll train you if you just leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> and that guy did heavy squats. <laughs> like, he was so undertrained that he was like, you're just weak as shit, dude. Like, you're going to get stronger. And so he had him do heavies, you know, triples, singles. And it's just because he was in a place where that's what he needed. Um, he didn't have Sadiq doing heavies because he didn't need it. And so I think that, <clears throat> you know, when you talk about in the gym, there are some trainability, like some qualities that make you like train to train. You know what I mean? So yeah. sometimes you got to have it. And then with, I think that's one thing that, that Anatoly brings to the table in, uh, in terms of biomechanics and how you move forward with that. I think Doc, he really contributes a great deal. Well, with, with Doc, though, it's all got to be 
I mean, whatever you're trying to develop has got to be related to the other abilities you're, you're trying to develop because, I mean, Doc primarily, uh, a lot of Doc systems use with team sport athletes, so you're never training particularly one single ability at a time. Um, you know what I mean? Your, your, your strength work can negatively affect your motor learning, which can affect whatever, um, you know, your, your, your whatever jumps or explosive work you're doing and stuff, stuff like that. So all doc stuff has got to be related to one another. Uh, and it's the adaptive reserves that he doesn't necessarily want, you know, cause you got to kind of share that out, um, mm. w w with the athletes as well. So you don't want to just, you know, use all that up with, with max strength and now, okay. You know your speed work's done, and and, and your technique. You know, they're uh, you're shot to shit with technique. And the thing is, with Doc, again, he's always coming back to technique and motor learning. And it's hard to learn with max intensity. Mm -hmm. uh, whether you're doing max intensity on the learning, or you're doing max intensity on the squat, but you're still working on, let's just say, quarterback throwing. You know what I mean? It's hard to learn with that because the adaptive reserves are, are used up. So Doc's always looking at it from that perspective as well. That's um yeah that's a really good point thing to think of it's like and and Jake just like you were kind of saying before it's it, it is interesting to weigh what an athlete needs the most I think throws might be different too uh, on some level just because there's less things going on than a a sport where there's yeah. multiple skills and fine skills an athlete needs um, but I that actually fits with the athlete where he did use max strength I know Derek Evely had talked about on Martin Bingister's podcast or. Or maybe it was mine. Maybe I'm just like created my wires crossed these days. But like the athlete, the the athletes that he had seen done the best on the butter chuck system, uh, were those who had come into it from a like they had come in. They had originally done a, a traditional max strength program in like the the past, and they had hit these levels of general strength that were acceptable. And then they went into the system where they weren't necessarily lifting um, the heaviest weights. And then I guess that would fit maybe with you were saying. Jeff, where the the motor learning ability is now greater, we're not we're not putting you know 85, 90, 95 percent loads in the system all the time. That kind of closes off. And I think about it too. I was just writing an article on this on like what things make a good athlete, and like it, it's for some reason it seems like all the the really like finely skilled tennis players or the swimmers that have the absolute best feel for the water just don't they don't naturally really seem to embrace going as heavy as they can. They'll lift, like they'll do what I tell them, but they they're not the guys who necessarily want to throw weight on the bar. It's almost like they want to keep more degrees of freedom open subconsciously in this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah I think uh, uh, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Well, I was going to say, and then like, again, I mean, we get down to the eights by the time we're in the eights with Doc's system, like does the athlete need it? Because I mean, what I found give some numbers, least, Jeff. Give him some numbers. Yeah, those, like, yeah. where you guys... All right, yeah, yeah, all right. So, okay. Well, I work. I, I work primarily, uh, primarily with middle school and high school athletes. I worked with college and and, and uh, uh, NFL as well. But uh, um, I, I have a at a twelve year old girl. Uh, she's one hundred five pounds. She she squats uh, one hundred sixty five pounds for fourteen reps. I think that's pretty good. You know what I mean? Like to it's me, so... box checked off. That's good. When we do speed squats with a gym aware, she can move her own body weight at 0.9 meters per second for five, uh, three sets of five. On the you know bar. I mean? Like, okay, you know like what I mean? Body like, weight on the bar. Yeah, she's got 105 on the bar, and she moves that's it for 0.9 meters per second. A 12-year-old girl. Like, that's pretty good. I know, so, I know some guys who are professional strength coaches who look for body weight times, well, body weight on a trap bar for around 0.9 and 
and is, that's how yeah. they pass. Is that it peak? Off. Is that uh, average velocity or peak? Average, yeah. Okay. Me. Okay. It's me, mean on squat. Um, but yeah, so like you know, what I mean, but all we did was one set of twenty, one set of fourteen. We never, by the time we got to the eights, it's just we don't need that, and that's one of the things with docs. Not that we can't get into that, and not saying I don't with some football players or some linemen or some wrestlers, but we don't necessarily need that. But with that said, Jake mentioned like isometrics and stuff. We are doing, you know, some heavy, by that time we get down to the eights, we are doing some heavy type of ISO eccentric mm-hmm. work a little bit. Um, you know what I mean? So now, you know, I don't know where that falls on the percentages, um, you know, but we are doing at least one set of, uh, of some heavy ISOs as well. But again, uh, I mean, how strong is strong enough? It's always a question that's been thrown around for ages in our, on our field. You know what I mean? Uh, to me, yeah, it's just yeah. gotta be relative to the other abilities that, that are being produced. And, you know, she, she can move pretty well. So, you know, uh, but I don't think she needs to get any stronger, but I, I hope that and makes that's sense. Like, that's like such a good thing to say too, because people who are strong, like, like I was saying, cone <clears throat> and some of these guys, Goggins, Powerlifters who are are strong, like Goggins squat over a thousand at 242, I think. Uh, these guys talk about what's wrong with powerlifting today. It's like too many fucking kids won't squat over 10 reps. That's what they say. They're like what? They need to squat more. And like guys like Dan Green, who is one of the top 242 guys, raw. Obviously, you know, there's question. He doesn't compete in a drug tested federation. I get it, but rarely is that guy squatting less than five reps. So you got to ask yourself, like Jeff's saying, you know, what do you define as strong? Because you you don't need to do a one rep max to know that they're strong, clearly. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, it's, it, yeah, I, I think it's important you guys are talking about that too with like the results you get with the high reps. And we've done a lot of one by 20 stuff on this podcast, but it is really amazing how well, um, how strong you can get with that, especially too when there's um, another obviously neural component where the athletes is doing plyometrics and sprinting outside of the lifting too, and that really combines well to get athletes very strong, stronger than I think a lot of people realize. Not even going under five or eight. Yes, sir. Uh, cool. Hey, so I wanted to talk about like the commonalities too. Like this is actually a question I really wanted to ask you guys and get your thoughts and take on. Uh, Stephen Jones, who's been on the podcast, friend of mine. Um, had had pitched this to me a little bit. It makes me do think of some systems, maybe the Charlie Francis a little bit, maybe uh, Jay Schrader on a level, but like the idea of the stuff in the middle of the binder check period. So at the top, you have your actual sport. Um, at the bottom, you have all general stuff. I think we were alluding to this a little bit before we started recording, but uh, the value of the stuff in the middle and the implementation, implementation of the things in the middle. So we're talking special strength. Um, I guess you have GPE, so the, I, I mean... I guess we would want to include barbell lifts in the general world, but but maybe all the stuff that's in the middle. So uh, special strength, even you could say you know jump squats or Olympic lifts or stuff that it may be similar um, but not quite the same. Uh, is there? What's your guys' take on the stuff in the middle of the pyramid? That's kind of really general stuff in the middle of the pyramid. That's very nondescript, mm-hmm. but uh, with different across different athletes and how you guys are engaging those that type of work. I think this is a good, this is good, this could be a good talk. I think that, like, really, this is where I think to, as much as we disagree, which is not much, I think this is where Jeff and I have good discussion because I'll just paint the picture for you. The stuff in the middle, <laughs> that's everything. <laughs> like, 
kids kids come in to work with you if they can't squat bench deadlift sprint run and do all that stuff well you got your starting point right there they can't do shit they need to start from the bottom and you know like otherwise they're not gonna be able to train safely and so you know that's pretty simple and then you have your sport like if they play the sport and they're just terrible it's like well there's not much i can do the kid sucks you know and so that's like everything we do as as strength and conditioning coaches falls in that middle realm you know like any personal trainer hopefully can give a kid the basics but it becomes so contextualized in the middle and for me for that reason anything that's special developmental or special preparatory has to involve tactics for team sport maybe not special preparatory because if it's matching the motor and uh, energetic demands uh, in terms of how they perform the sporting movements that could be considered special preparatory for the muscles but for me <clears throat> for an exercise to be special developmental it has to involve tactics on, on some level you have to be forced to make a tactical decision in order to have the skill that you're practicing or the physical abilities you know transferred to the field and the reason i say that i'll just throw this out there is because in Anatoly's system, any exercise that's special developmental in some even and obviously his systems are concurrent, so he's training several different qualities at once uh, in these classifications. But anything that's special developmental or more specific, so SDE or, or CE, he was somewhere between 70 and 100 percent confident that improvement in that exercise would constitute an improvement a concomitant improvement in sporting results and so you think about that with with hammer throw that's pretty simple he's throwing the hammer it's heavier you're working on strength and it goes further okay well i'm pretty sure he's going to throw the lighter hammer further good you know you got it <clears throat> for team sports it's just not that simple you know because if you take something that we feel is highly specific like say a 40 yard dash and you say Okay, now his 40s faster. I know he's going to score more goals, or not goals. Uh, he's going to score more touchdowns or get more first downs in the game. Man, I tell you, I don't know very many strength coaches who are going to like go to the head coach and be like, "I'm 90% confident that this guy is going to score more touchdowns now." And that's because it's hard to say that. Like the game is so complex, and for me, it's like I have to ask myself the question: Are we leaving out a whole classification of exercises that could yield us? you know, that much development. Like imagine if we're training athletes only in SPE and the game, like think about how much development is on the table. If we're not using that SDE. So for me, that's how I feel about it. You're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster. I was going to say too, before you um, jump in there, Jeff, I was, I was, I was literally just thinking about that. I was going through Derek's course and that SD, I was thinking about all the videos like Michael Zwiefel puts out um, with the perception and reaction. I was like, this stuff, I feel like would definitely go in that SD category because it's like, it's not quite the game, but it's it's game like, it's specific derivatives of the game like situation. So that was just a, a thought I was having as I was going through Derek's course. Well, so I'm not in disagreement at all with what Jake said. I, I, I think, and this is. This is partly stuff I got from Doc, and this is just kind of my own uh, twist on how I look at it, at least. Um, 
and I apologize if this is redundant if I've talked about this before, but I look at it as uh, two things. So let's just let's just name a sport and a position right now. So let's just say uh, running back football. Okay. Um, so with me or with Doc, there's we he kind of breaks it down, right? There's hard skills and there's soft skills. The hard skills are the ideal things that they have to do in the perfect situation. So running in a you know running straight, cutting technique based off of you know a single reaction very simple you know um in different directions but nonetheless right those are kind of like the main things a running back has to do right so those are the hard skills the soft skills now is how it's implemented like you mentioned like the full and the perception action stuff how it's now implemented into uh the sports right into the perception action uh, chaotic environment so doc looks at the hard skills first because it, i mean Let's be honest, if you can't ride a bike very well, I'm not going to fucking just throw you down a rocky hill, right? And then say, hey, good luck, you know, trying to figure this one out because, you know, you don't even know how to, you know, ride a bike properly. You don't know how to hold on to the steering wheel and stuff like that. So Doc wants to start. He starts with what you look like with no uh, stress, no environmental changes or, or anything like that. Because if you look like shit there, well, then guess what? You're going to look even worse. <laughs> You're just throwing shit in a blender if we throw it in a perceptual environment, chaotic environment. So, um, he starts with, he's a poet. He's, <laughs> you know what I mean? So he starts with that. Okay. So that's how I first start. So when I get an athlete, a running back, let's just say, I want to video his running. All right. So we do that and then we video his lateral movement. And then, Right. I also want to watch game film, too. So we'll break it down and watch game films. I want to see how does he cut based off of, you know, what he's perceiving in front of him and all that kind of, again, perception action stuff. But where I see what I mean, I, I think strength coaches should have an understanding of both ends of that hard skills and soft skills personally. But where I think or a lot of coaches can have some good work, uh, strength coaches is um, understanding hard skills. And then what kind of goes into that and then how that kind of bleeds into, you know, that, that, that continuum into the soft skill. Um, and I got those terms from Daniel Coyle's, uh, what, talent code or whatever. I really liked his definition of those. So, right, so if the running back, you know, lacks, uh, has some ankle sprains and he lacks really good ankle joint extension. He's got knee extension and he's kind of rounded in his back, right? We, we know running mechanics. Well, okay, so those are things we got to work on. Uh, and then we also got to work on his perceptual abilities and, and stuff like that. So uh, I hope that makes sense uh, with that. So I, Doc, I believe, and how I look at it, I, I split it up. I don't think Jake's wrong with, you know, it's got to have tactics involved and the perceptual aspect involved. But I, I take it a step further. And let's first start with the hard skills. Now, I know there's a camp of people that don't believe there are any, you know, there's no such things as perfect technique and this and that. Well, Maybe so, but there's biomechanical laws in which the human body has to move. That is a fact, you know, and those are the things we're kind of looking at. And then to take it a step further uh, with the hard skills, you know, we kind of got this. From, uh, I, I got it from Yuri Verkashansky and his work under Nikolai Bernstein, right? There's there, He breaks it down into two types of movements. There's the key movements, the ones that are the force producing actions. And then there's the secondary movements, the ones that help with you know uh the coordination and the and in in controlling the key movements right so what are the key movements in those hard skills those are really kind of what doc first looks at what i look at and then you know how's that how's the secondary movements uh working so 
uh, that's the way we break down the hard skills. And then, yeah, all that perception action stuff that Mike Zweifel's doing. And I know Sean Mishka talks about and all the other perception asking guys out there. But, uh, yeah, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> no, so totally. how do you – let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So <clears throat> you get an athlete in there, and you're like, okay, we're going to, like, do our assessment and, and determine how, you know, to go forward based on your sport. Like, how do you do your, like, biomechanics assessment? Uh, again, give me give me a quick sport and a, and a position. Say your girl who your hundred pounder who squats one sixty five. She, okay, she's a soccer player. Soccer player. Um, yep, she's a soccer player. So we video her running. We video her running from the front. Video running from the from behind and video from the side. Uh, and then we do slow motion full analysis. Speed. Like full speed. Yeah, it's got, it's got to be. Yeah, it's, no, it's got to be sprinting. Uh, sprint. Speed speed changes shit. Speed and weight change mechanics. I think you know that as a power lifter, right? So. Um, you know what I mean? So, so we start, yeah, everything's gotta be at full speed and then I'll break it down from there. Uh, and that's where, uh, apprenticing under doc and his expertise and, uh, has helped me learn that stuff. And then if there's stuff I don't know, uh, part of apprenticing under doc, uh, the joys of that is I can send him video and then he'll give me his analysis and I can see if it matches up with mine and then we can talk about it. Uh, and then we kind of work backwards from there. Okay, this is kind of you know some of the exercises they need um, based off of whatever whatever they find. So uh, talking about that quarterback, my my case to the quarterback. Well, the quarterback was your typical arm thrower that had no body action, no hip uh, ro- had lacked hip rotation, but had no separation between the hips and the shoulders. So from a technique standpoint, we had to build in the hip rotation with the separation between the hips and the shoulders, which takes a lot of conscious thinking to do. All right, so we're trying to take a uh, we're trying to take a, an old bad skill and, and try to re- rewire it a bit. So that takes a lot of a lot of thinking, a lot of sensory information, uh, and a lot of practice to do. Uh, and that's where Doc's specialized exercises kind of come in. That uh, uh, we can get in that a little later. But why I think one of the reasons why I think he's a genius is how he implements that from a learning standpoint. But um, Right, so the hard skill is he lacked he lacked good uh, power generation from his from his uh, lower body, so we had to build that in. Um, right, we had to build that in with exercises and then work that up to uh, his soft skills. So, uh, you know, once he got that that hip separation in an ideal situation, right, then we build it into he's going to throw it to a receiver. Right, once he can do that, then he's got to do it with a drop. Once he can do that, then he's got to do that based off of a reading receivers. I'm just giving ideals, uh, right? Just did trying you to do always it loaded though. Like, did you do those exercises loaded? Like, no. You be, from... Well, okay. So the hip rotation, yes, we do that loaded in the weight room. Out on the field, no. I mean, you can. No. That's the beauty of using yeah. the active cords, but uh, yeah. you're tied up to something. You know what I mean? So right. it's kind of hard right. to do a drop when you're tied up to a fence um, right. <laughs> or a goalpost. Um, so yes and no, he might do it from a contrast situation. So we, we would contrast it from a learning, from a, uh, sensory information. So he would do the hip rotation, maybe, you know, a quick set of five, set of 10, and then he'd take off the belt and then go and throw it. You know what I mean? So, so once we've done it, it, it yeah, so we can, with, with what doc does is he takes bonder trucks, heavier, lighter ideas, and he'll implement it from a learning standpoint. Um, yeah. as well as a physical development standpoint. Um, getting back to the girls' soccer players, so based off of how she ran and how she cuts, we kind of build the program. 
Uh, yes, we do general lifts and squatting is part of it, but she got just so strong, so fast doing lots of general stuff that, you know, uh, it brought up all the other stuff, but uh, I kind of hope that makes sense. If you guys want me to go into more detail of how to turn it into things into a soft skill, but yeah, no, totally. Um, I, yeah, I, I was going to piggyback off that Jeff. I actually have a couple thoughts and I, and I got one more kind of, uh, I guess, big question after this. And I, I think this, this is something I've always thought about. If you're going to really go the pure, um, like there's some coaches who would go the pure, we're just going to lift and then play your sport model. Uh, but if I feel like for that to work, uh, you have to, and I've, I've started to notice this more and more. And I, and I do believe in the sense of like, if we're talking about the GE, it's really fully, um, you're really creating the potential for an athlete to move. Like I, like, for example, I have, um, and I definitely believe in the, you know, in, 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 and I have plenty of special exercises for sprinting and jumping and base core skills like that, that can help different components of it that a lot of athletes just seem to not get. But at the same time, I definitely have noticed, and this is through myself going through like the PRI world a little bit, you see how um, an athlete's rib cage, breathing, pelvis, their alignment can inhibit a certain type of movement. Like, for example, I'll have a, a tennis player, and the coaches are like, this kid just doesn't move laterally very well. And so I'm kind of going through and trying to check boxes, like is it his reaction to the ball, is his vision bad? I mean, maybe, I don't know as much about that as you to make that call in judgment, but one thing I do notice is, okay, if we line the guys up and they're in a, a half kneeling stance and then they have to do a quarter turn and go laterally, this guy can't just go laterally. He runs an arc like every time. And he basically, he doesn't have a frontal plane. Like his ribs are sitting almost on his pelvis. And it's part of that's just his body design. Like I can't re I can't change the proportions of this kid's rib cage, but I mean, on a level, there are some things in the PRI world you can do. There's some things he's gotten better at from a frontal plane, but I do think there always exists the argument of if you can free up an athlete to move, give them de enough degrees of freedom, um, their body will eventually figure it out. <laughs> I think the special exercises are a shortcut, especially for athletes who just aren't as athletic all the time and just don't get it. I mean, the best athletes pick up everything. They have the degrees of freedom. They have the capacity. They have the movement potential. And they're a damn good athlete. And they just play long. They just get it. I always kind of felt like a lot of the special work was on some level, a, a, it's like a what did you call it? Like a, like a little bit of nitrous oxide to get their system used to actually moving correctly more quickly. Well, that, but I would argue, uh, see, I would argue a little bit against that. Um, I, 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 I mean, I think that's why there's so many overuse injuries because some coaches follow that path and okay, I'm just going to let this athlete will figure it out. They're a good athlete. They can figure it out. Well, Okay. Yeah, they, they, they can figure out, they can move laterally quick, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think that's why we get, overuse injuries is why we got hamstring injuries and i mean there's a lot of reasons for, for that but uh um I, I don't necessarily believe in just always letting athletes figure things out because there are biomechanical laws um that that they have to figure out uh this quarterback you know he had to develop power from his arm because he figured out how to throw but no one taught him how to use his hips how to use his body uh and unfortunately that's more common than not uh that coaches don't know how to teach that um, and that's not being taught. You can see that uh, it's Sunday right now, so you can go watch that in a half hour on the on the on the film and why uh, or in baseball why there's so many oblique strains with that stuff. Um, you know, so I think the, there is an element of we do have to teach mechanics a bit. Uh, and on top of it, yeah, okay, specialized exercises one help with the motor learning, but it helps bring out the physical abilities of that technique. So now they can demonstrate that technique better um, rather than just from a teaching standpoint, uh, you know, so on average with my quarterbacks, 
on average, I work on, uh, work with when we worked on the separation, they put on 15, 20 yards of their throwing power or, or, or on their or on their total yards. Uh, baseball players average about 15, 20 or, or uh, uh, 10, 15 miles an hour on their fastballs. Um, my, my golfers average about 50 yards improvement in their drives, you know, from just doing learning proper mechanics and doing strength exercises that relate to that. Um, and I think that's the whole thing behind Doc's stuff. Not that the general is not important. He just assumes you kind of already know that shit. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think people do. That's why we're still having this argument that uh, there's coaches out there. I don't think general strength training, you know, can improve speed development. Well, I, I just think they're doing it poorly. I think they suck at it personally. Yeah. Um, you know, and I got plenty enough numbers to show that general strength does transfer to speed if you're doing it, you know, and you're monitoring things, but that's another story. Well, and I think too, like, you know, like what you're, what you're saying, what you guys are both saying is, uh, like there are techniques for improving physical abilities. Like for example, with PRI, if you have an athlete who moves badly, they're not going to perform well in anything. Like you, you guys know who Chris Duffin is. He's a power lifter. Yeah. Famous, famous for being fucking crazy. For one, like this last month, he deadlifted 800 pounds every day for 33 for 31 days. Get some of that. 800 pounds every fucking day, just because. And this guy's famous because he um, is big on being able to move well. You know, those things don't usually go together. Like being a heavyweight lifter and being able to move well. And so he understands, you know, like movement and being flexible and being capable of performing uh, the sporting movement uninhibited is important for not being hurt. You know, like what Jeff is saying, um, having a process that breaks down their sport so you understand where they're deficient is important as well. But I think for me, like uh, like from a team sport side, like where I'm working with coaches um, team sport coaches and I, I work with a lot of other team sport strength and conditioning coaches um, what gets missed is that coaches don't necessarily know yet like what it is they're looking at for performance you know what I mean because some guys will take the you know an approach where they pick one thing like maybe it's mobility they're like man mobility is so fucking important for us and it's like well yeah but like you guys are fucking weak man and slow they're mobile as shit, but they just are slow, you know, and then somebody else would be like, man, speed is so important. We, all we do is it's like, yeah, you guys are super fast, but they're brittle. They can't move. They're like about to snap. Sure enough, season starts, they're fucked up. And so I think really like for me where, uh, Yosef or not Yosef, uh, where, uh, doc and Anatoly can serve the community with what they know is in taking strength coaches back a step and saying, do you really understand like what's important for your sport? Because if you do, then it changes your paradigm. Like for example, I'll give you an example. If you're a hockey strength coach and you feel like heavy sled, like prowler pushes and sled drags are important. You know, I would ask you, why do you feel that way? Because I can tell you right now in every hockey league on the fucking planet, speed is king. Now in the NHL, it changed overnight. Like clubs went from having big men, huge dudes, like six foot eighters, 260, 270, dumping everybody. Like hardly anybody has a, a, a big guy like that. Like Boston has Chara only because he's a fucking animal. Like the guy can do 50 pull-ups <laughs> at like two, at a body weight of 260. Um, everybody got rid of their big men. Why? Because being big doesn't matter anymore. 
And so they understand, the team understands, we need speedy, skilled players. But, like, as a strength coach, like, do you understand what's important for your sport? And if you do, then you can make a scalable, um, like, a measured, scalable progression model. Like, with uh, what Berkoshansky has for jumping, you know, that's an integrated, scaled progression. He knows what's important, and he understands how to make it, like, how to build that quality in the most efficient way possible. Like what Jeff is saying, he doesn't fuck around making some high school soccer player strong for three years when he can make her strong in eight months by doing one set three days a week and work on other things at the same time, like those things being mobility, speed, um, and like sports specific skill. And so for me, the, like the real contribution of the article that we wrote and like the discussion that, that Jeff and I have a lot is that we need to change our paradigm. Like we don't need to spend so much time doing one thing. We can do it all. We just have to be smart. Yeah, I, I, I think there is. I agree, and I, I appreciate both you guys' input on that. You know that that area, because I think it's as the industry moves forward, that's an area those those four layers of the pyramid and the way we see what really matters. I think is going to become um, more and more clear. Uh, I did with the with just a little bit of time left too. I did want to get into um, something that I do feel like is very important and unique with the the bonder chuck system, particularly is. And I think that that certainly makes it great is just how easy it is to track what you're doing. And obviously, the, the more complex sport gets, the harder it is, right? Like, you, how do you track? What, how do you decide what the and, and I'm, I'm kind of getting some ideas by going through Derek's course. But how exactly do you decide what the, the key point you want to track is for American football or soccer or rugby or, or whatever you're coaching? Right. Like and. So could you guys talk a little bit about the impact of the Bonner Chuck system in terms of um, how you guys are replicating, tracking, monitoring your workouts? I mean, obviously, Bonder Chuck, the same workout every day or maybe two workouts done until you adapt. Um, how are you guys taking that uh, paradigm? Um, well, I'll just give you – I haven't really said much in terms of, like, numbers from my side. So I'll just tell you straight up, like, for me, the, the things we look at, like, to make a hockey player, we look at repeat sprintability in ice skates – so we do a repeat sprint test where the guy sprints 15 meters, stops, and comes back. So it's a little bit shorter than blue line to baseline. Um, and we measure the drop-off. There's three. There's two timing gates. We use a Browers. Uh, and we just do we do 12 sprints. And so we watch how fast within the shift and between shifts their systems tank, and we videotape it. So we watch them sprint in skates with all their kit on, and we watch a video. And based on the times in the video, we can identify deficiencies. So we take that and we have co- we uh, combine it with uh, body composition. We use uh, bioelectrical impedance because we don't have the money for DEXA. <laughs> um, and then we also do force plate jumps um, combined with general strength. Uh, they have some like fancy fucking force plate thing that's seismokinetic here at the Olympic Training Center that we use. But you could do it with anything, right? And so for me, all of those things are, that's what I look at. I look at repeat sprintability and skates, power on a force plate, and uh, their body composition. And so it's a pretty straightforward process. When you're doing jumping, if the guy does the jumps on the force plates and he can't fucking jump, then I'm like, hey, there you go. That's my test exercise. High or extensive jumping. How does the technique look? And if he's weak, like on the force plates, he has no real, you know, like force into the plate. 
okay, well, we need to work on his hip, on his power and his legs. So squat strength. And then that becomes your test exercise is squats, you know, for reps. Um, in skating, <clears throat> you watch the technique if you're doing repeat sprints. And if it falls off, you're like, okay, you're done. That's your test exercise is his um, technique in his skating sprints. So I feel like for me with Anatoly's system, it's like depends on the phase you're in and what's important to you as a coach in terms of how you determine transfer. Yeah, same here. Uh, I, I don't have the fancy equipment Jake's got, but uh, yeah, it, it depends on what Come we're on, trying to. Man. I, I don't. I don't have force plates, man. Just, um, just, just places like a Toys R Us for sports <laughs> science, man. Yeah, I don't know about that, but um, I. I uh, yeah, it depends on where we are in the training. So that's one. So if we're in, let's just say, the 20s, I get a kid, right? The the KPIs might be just the strength exercise and then, you know, uh, something simple like Bosco jump tests. Um, you know, it doesn't mean we don't sprint uh, to see correlation as well. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not too upset if uh, in the 20s uh, kids' 10-yard times don't, you know, sub improve substantially. Um, they do usually, uh, I'm not saying that they don't, but I'm not like upset if they don't just because we're in the twenties, man, I'm not necessarily trying to develop speed just yet. Um, and then as, as we go along, you know, into the 14s into the eights, yeah, the, uh, then our priorities change. Um, when we're in the eights, uh, the KPIs become, you know, uh, let's say for soccer, or for, you know, uh, other team sport athletes, it's going to be a 10 and a 30 yard electronic, uh, free lap sprint. Uh, Bosco jump tests are good because at Pittsburgh, we've had massive rain and flooding this year. So we can't always go outside and time our sprints. So the Bosco jump tests have been great. And then, uh, um, watching technique, um, and specialized exercises, uh, if they're doing specialized exercises, because, um, I know, Jake, what, what you guys were bringing up earlier, you know, generally when Bonnerchuk saw an improvement in SDE, he could pretty much guarantee with uh, an improvement in sport performance. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say with, you know, the 70 to hundred percent certainty that Bonnerchuk has, but I feel like with the level athletes I work with middle school and high school predominantly that, yeah, if they're going to improve in their, in their specialized exercises, we can, I feel pretty confident that they're going to have an improvement in, those other KPIs, the speed and uh, power numbers, and you know, usually, usually, not always, uh, if they improve in those, you know, they're probably going to get better on the field. Um, you know, it's hard to. I haven't seen too many cases where a high school soccer player took off four tenths off of their ten yard sprint and they didn't get better on the field. Um, you know what I mean? It, it, don't get me wrong. It changes as the levels go, but uh, for middle school and high schoolers, I'm pretty confident with that. Sure. I think, I think really one of the morals of the story is to have um, a set of KPIs for each sport that are listed and then have um, a number of SDEs that you know are correlated with that. I think, but that's where the trick is, right? I, I know, um, and Derek Evely was talking about Tom Crick in the UK athletics, like mapping every track event, like the potential uh, SDEs for each one of them and, and having at least for track and field right where it's just kind of one skill each and obviously in each sport there's multiple skills so it becomes a little bit of a project but I think that's kind of the beauty of being a coach and the you know especially being a good coach is you know the the factors behind each team sport and you know um, the KPIs and you know 
what's going to get the job done and getting those better. What I find interesting that I really enjoy talking about, maybe we can, you know, I know we've gone a little long here, but um, is that I've learned from Bondarchuk is talking about uh, adaptation types and uh, the different types of people and how they adapt. So that's something I look at. And I know, I know some people may not agree with me, but I, even at high school, middle schoolers, man, they still adapt differently. They don't all adapt at the same speed. Uh, and I find that interesting. I really enjoy the, the challenge of that. Um, you know, some kids improve really fast, really quickly, and some kids it takes quite a bit of time uh, to get improvement. And I enjoy also trying to monitor that. Um, I find that a fun challenge to do with my athletes. Uh, how often, I don't want to hijack this too much. I did want to at least, and Jake, you say what you want to say, but I did kind of want to also feed this in there as, as to finish off this question is, um, are you guys doing anything in terms of having workouts that are a little less diverse to really hone in on that? Basically doing maybe only one or two or three types of workouts with the athlete or how does that impact it? But also I don't want to um, take off the rails what you were going to say too, Jake. Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, I think, well, I guess I would ask this, and I already know what Jeff's going to say, but I would ask this. <laughs> if, if you're going to profile the type of adapter they are, like they are, you know, what things do you track in the workout to do that? Like what objective uh, measures allow you to do that, I guess. Okay, so generally we're doing some kind of jumping. So that's usually something. Uh, with my just jump mat, uh, that's pretty easy to quantify um, improvement, you know, because we'll do scissor jumps, we'll do repeat squat jumps, we'll do, you know what I mean, different types of jumps. So that's pretty easy. Um, you know, uh, if we're doing you know, specialized exercises, depending on what they are, if it's the lunges or if it's, you know, explosive lunges or whatever. Um, we have tape on the floor so we can monitor improvement and how far away are they getting away from that distance. Um, you know, so that's something we'll, we'll do. Um, yeah, and then to be honest with you, every, maybe every couple of weeks we do broad jumps or vertical jumps just to see for shits and giggles. Really doesn't take a lot of time. Uh, the Bosco jump test is pretty easy to administer. Uh, I got a couple mats, so we'll just, hey, jump on, you know, let, let's do those real quick. Um, but not, I mean, it's not always perfect, but those, those are generally what I, I, I use at least. That's awesome. I think that's an important moment right there. If you're going to, if you're going to get to know your athletes better, you should have a system in place. Like I'll give you, I'll like spin this a different way. So, a good a good coaching friend of mine, he works in professional hockey. He told me that when his athletes go home for the summer, and like this is obvious, right? Because there's a players association involved. Um, he can't tell them to do anything, right? Like they're gone, <laughs> but they're still an asset that he's responsible for. And so, what he told me he does is he talks to the trainer that's going to work with these guys. And he says, well, what do you see? What are you going to look at? What are you working on? And the guy will give him an answer. And based off of what he says, he's like, okay, well, I can tell you right now that you're way off course or you're on track. And the way he knows that is because he knows the athlete's personality from observing them, but he also knows everything else about the guy. <laughs> like how, like, for example, like what I said, like when he jumps on a force plate, what's his profile? When he does a fitness test, what's his profile? when he finishes a hockey season, what is his body composition compared to when he comes into camp? 
like he checks all these things. So he knows the athlete, like he knows everything about him. And so from there, like what Jeff's saying, he doesn't have to be a complicated system of measuring things to get to know how your athlete adapts. You just have to be paying attention, I think. You know, like when you're just watching jump height, yeah, it's a piece of cake. Or if you're watching how they learn the jumps, that could be another thing. You're just watching them and you're like, man, this kid's taking longer to learn it than someone else. You just have to pick something. Like Anatoly once told me, because I asked him a similar question, you know, like how simple or complex uh, do I need to get with test exercises? And he was like, Anatoly's thing is he's like my grandpa. He calls me Jakey. Like no one calls me Jakey. Nobody calls me that. He'll be like, Jakey, listen. <laughs> You could do push-ups. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, I, and I was like, because I always have to check. I'm like, you sure? Like, push-ups. In Russian, I'm telling this. I'm like, like fucking, like, push-ups on the ground. He's like, yes, push-ups. He's like, push-ups could be your test exercise. I and do I'm that like, with my middle school boys, by the way, push-ups. I took that from Bondarchuk. Sorry. Couldn't be easier. Push-ups. Yeah. Do a set of max push-ups. How many can you get? Okay. You know, and, like, for me, I got... <clears throat> academy kids that are 17 16 17 years old max set of push-ups is in their workout and i watch it and they go up and up and up until they don't anymore and then the whole program needs to change and that's a test exercise right there yeah you know and then at the same time they're doing extensive jumping you know following the verkashansky model scaled model for jump development and i watch them they do one set of 20 with body weight for at a tempo it's not even a height jump you know, the key indicator there is technique, like technical mastery. Can they do a full set of 20 jumps and have all of them look good? You know, it's pretty simple. Uh, you know, that profiles of guys, like Jeff's saying, if you got a guy who just takes forever to learn it, it's like, well, that guy's just a little bit, you know, slower than the other guys. So he needs more time. Right on. Cool. Um, sweet. So, yeah, I think that's about all the time we have. I know we got some stuff going on. I But I did really want to um, get into just for, like, maybe just a – Maybe it could be a 30-second answer. We'll call it the lightning round. But how often are you guys testing those KPIs every day then? And what's the how diverse is your like general program? Are you doing the same uh, lifts every day, every other day, um, special exercises? How, how diverse is that with the KPIs and the tracking in mind? For me, I don't change workouts. Uh, we keep them the same. I mean, the amount of exercise we do will depend on how that athlete's feeling on that day and what's going on and you know, Fridays or Friday fun day. So we generally, you know, just do the big, big rock stuff. And we do a lot of the, the, the vision and perception action movement stuff. Um, but yeah, I generally don't change exercises, um, at all or workouts at all until it's, you know, it's time, uh, we, those KPIs stop moving and then we start to dovetail in and out other things. Nice. So um, I was trying to get me... my lightning answer. <laughs> nice. Good job, Jeff. <laughs> For me, I'll tell you, I got a defenseman, young kid. He's 21. This summer, he trained with me for eight weeks. He had three workouts. That's it. Everything he did was better. His, and this is on force plates, on like a leg press with force plates, isokinetics. Speed strength was up. Max strength was up. Jumps went up 30% from where he's been. He did three workouts. And within that program, we measure KPIs every day. We measure KPIs monthly and we measure KPIs weekly. Like there's some things we measure constantly and then some things we measure time to time. I will say caveat in team sports, you got to be careful about monotony. Mm -hmm. You get a guy who's 35 and you say you're going to do yeah. the same workout the whole season. He's going to take your fuck right off. <laughs> so you got to be careful of that. But if you got a guy who will do it, man, you work those basics. So they really don't work anymore because you can get a lot out of them. 
Yeah. Context is so important. Like Pat Davidson was saying in a seminar, you don't go to the Outback Steakhouse and the waiter tell you steak isn't good for you and suggest tofu instead. You you do have to give <laughs> athletes uh, what they want, especially in that situation. But it's it's really cool to hear you guys' answers. You got me excited for the rest of your series, by the way, the article series on Just Life Sports. I probably will mention this in the pre-roll, but I hope everyone reads it and, and the, the stuff you guys got coming out. So, um, so good talking today, man. I wish we could do this all the time and maybe we can more often, but Thank you guys for being on the show. Um, Jake from Germany, Jeff from the East Coast. I really appreciate it today, guys. Thanks, man. Appreciate right. it. Thank you. That wraps up 118, episode 118 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening to that one. Again, it's just such an honor to be putting on these, what I really call game-changing episodes. Forward-thinking, people who are taking the best of the leaders of the past uh, who have shaped this industry into what it is or played a large role in shaping the industry into what it is and just using forward-thinking and creating these ideals that I think are really going to help make all of us better coaches. I know I've been as a result of doing this episode and all the others. So anyways, don't forget to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. Also, if you enjoyed the show, uh, don't hesitate to leave us a rating review on iTunes, Stitcher. We'd really appreciate that. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest.